One, two, one, two, one, two. Hello, hello. Is it working? Yeah, it's working. Okay. Even though we haven't used it in a long time. How's it feel to be back on the mic on the way to work? Um, it feels as awkward as ever. Hello and welcome to Startup, the podcast about what it's really like to start a business. I'm Alex Bloomberg, and we are back. That's right. This is season four, for those keeping track. Does anyone keep track? We do. It's season four. And this season, you can think of it as a two-course meal. The main course is going to come a few episodes from now. I'm not going to tell you too much about it, except to say it's a fascinating seven-episode series on a startup that you probably have not heard of, but with a founder that you probably have heard of. Lisa Chow, the regular host of Startup, will be kicking that off a few episodes from now. But I am here with a short three-episode starter course about what's going on here at Gimlet Media, the company that produces this podcast and many others, the company that my co-founder Matt Lieber and I started two years ago in a process which we documented in season one of Startup. You guys remember that? The very first episode of that series started with me about to go to one of my first ever meetings with an investor. But before going out the door, my wife Nazanin stopped me to ask about my footwear. They're fine. They're just, there'd be a higher chance that he's going to give you money if you're not wearing running shoes. Don't you think that's true? These are the only shoes that I can wear that my feet don't hurt. (laughs) That exchange happened in April of 2014, before Gimlet even existed, before I'd met my co-founder Matt Lieber, before we raised a dime of investment or found an office, or hired people, or launched some shows, or hired more people, or found a bigger office, or raised more money, or launched more shows, or found even more office space. And before my wife Nazanin came to work at Gimlet. So where are are we right now? How long have you been, how long have have our new lives been this way? Um, Our new lives have been this way for almost a year. Now, before coming to Gimlet, Nazneen was a TV producer on The Rachel Maddow Show. And before that, she was a public radio producer. So most of her life has been spent doing journalism. But when she came to Gimlet, she made a career switch. She became head of our creative services division, which means that she runs the team that makes the ads in all our podcasts. And she makes all our branded content, that is, podcasts that we make for companies and other entities. What's the most unexpected thing about, the, about your new job? I mean, this sounds, so, this sounds so stupid to say, but when I took the job or, like, when I was thinking of, you know, when I, like, started, I don't know, the stakes were so much lower, <laughs> you know? What do you mean? It, it just, it, it felt like, you know, of course we wanted to, like, do a good job and get big accounts and stuff, but if we didn't something else would come along or like now that it just feels like there is a there's like a big organization to pay for (laughs) and um, if we do an ad campaign for some company and they don't buy another one like that's on kind of on on me (laughs) Um, and I just I just didn't think about I just like didn't I don't know. I just didn't think about the stakes that way. I don't know. It just didn't feel real for a long time. You know? And now it feels very, very real. 
This is the sound of the Gimlet bi-weekly all-staff meeting. It's midsummer and the room is packed. People are sitting on tabletops, leaning against the walls, hanging out cross-legged on the floor. There aren't enough chairs for everyone. There are about 60 of us now at Gimlet. In fact, that number, that's what Matt wants to talk about at today's meeting. Um, I wanted to, we wanted to just give a, do a snapshot update of where we are in terms of the growth of Gimlet. We have grown a ton in the last seven months. Like, an unbelievable amount. We were 23, 24 people on Jan 1. We're currently 57 people. That's like over 130%. That is a lot of new growth to digest. Does anyone feel that way? (laughs) Raise your hand if you feel that way. Almost every hand goes up. This growth, this is what Nazdeen's talking about when she says it's getting real. And it's also the subject of our three-part miniseries on Gimlet, growth. It's exciting, it's super fortunate, it's awesome in many ways, but it is hard to manage. Over the course of these episodes, there will be tense words, there will be uncomfortable silences, there will be tears. There are also a couple of bad words, so if you're listening with kids, you know, take appropriate measures. We are going to talk about how growth thrusts employees into unfamiliar roles, how it makes managers out of people who've never managed anyone before, and how it's changing my job. But in this episode, the first one, we're going to be talking about the thing Nazneen alluded to, perhaps the scariest thing about growth, how much it costs, and how you pay for it, and how that need for revenue forces me and Nazneen and my co-founder Matt to make a tough decision, a big decision, with lots of money on the line. That is coming up on today's episode of Startup. Jim Grau. Hey. <laughs> How'd you like to be on startup? Uh, always someone walking in front of the mic in this office, I swear to God. <laughs> All right, so the guy I just ambushed with the mic, that's Jim Grau, our VP of finance. Yes, we actually have a VP of finance now. Also a national sales director. And they, along with my co-founder, Matt and me, are often the ones that deal with big financial questions. My point is, this is going to be something of a corner office episode. Jim actually sits in a corner office, though I should say his office also happens to be the smallest room in our new space. And he shares it with two other people. Anyway, Jim came to Gimlet a couple months ago from the Boston Consulting Group, BCG, where Matt used to work. They were former colleagues. And Jim is a contradiction because he's one of the nicest, most laid-back guys in the office. But I have, I have a tendency, and probably especially in my role here uh, as VP of Finance, um, I have a tendency to have a very concerned look on my face, probably, <laughs> probably more often, more often than I should, because I'm constantly staring at spreadsheets and uh, and concerned about um, guarding, in part, guarding Gimlet against like the downside scenarios, and so I probably think about that maybe more than the average person here. Downside scenarios like, for example, what if advertiser demand, which has been very strong, all of a sudden dries up? Or what if advertisers are no longer willing to pay the rates they paid in the past? Jim thinks about this stuff, models it, plugs it into a spreadsheet row called downside scenarios. And for a while, these worst-case scenarios were theoretical. But just this month, in mid-July of 2016, Jim's face was looking even more concerned than normal because some of his theoretical scenarios were becoming real. 
the audience numbers for the past few months, which have been growing like gangbusters before that, have um, plateaued and even kind of fallen for um, pretty much almost all of our shows. Sampler, surprisingly awesome, and this very podcast, Startup, the numbers were flat or declining. The only show that was continuing to gain audience was Reply All. Now, the declines weren't huge. And in the case of Startup, individual episodes from the last season did way better than previous seasons. If you're curious, the two big hits of season three were the episode on Groove Shark and the one on Bento. But overall, the trend line for the season was flat. Matt, who shares that office with Jim, heard our conversation and turned around to chime in. The question is what happens if the show's the audience you're catching us at a particularly like paranoid moment because all the all the fucking shows are not growing. So well, of course you extend in the last two months to the next six months, and if we continue the way we are, we are like F U C K E D. When you say we're F U C K E D, I mean I think that's behind all the anxiety, right? Like that's behind. Like, is this whole project gonna go belly up? Uh. <clears throat> I mean, yeah, I guess like, like we're, we're, we're only, we're only, we're only fucked if all this bad stuff, mildly bad stuff over the past month continues to happen consistently to all our properties. And even then, like F-U-C-K-E-D looks like, like, laying some people off and refocusing on core shows. It doesn't mean blowing up the business. Look, I'm telling you, you're giving me eyes there. He's going to put this in startup and it's going to like completely terrify the staff. And and (laughs) I'm not going to put it in startup. By the way, I would only put it live. Are we? I'm trusting our eminent CEO to make the right decision. I'm, I, I trust me. I've seen this movie before. It's like, You think you're, and then it's like, oh, but it's such good tape because you're so, you're so terrifying. Like, how could you? And then you're going to be like, well, I don't want to stand in the way of a great episode. Um, no, but seriously, I think the fact that we're even sitting here talking about layoffs is like, I'm not saying it's a dirty word. Like, businesses lay people off, but I don't, I think that we're having this conversation is be, this is the moment we're in, right? We're just, it's so much uncertainty. And I don't think that's going to happen. I think we're in this particularly paranoid moment. And part of what's making this moment especially paranoid has nothing to do with what's happening on our existing shows. It's because of the six new shows that are set to launch by the end of this year. We have to pay for those new shows, and we have no idea how they're going to perform. This conversation was happening right at the end of our hiring boom, which had taken us to almost 60 people and brought on those unruly seating arrangements at our all-staff meetings. And most of these new hires were working on shows that weren't coming out for another couple months. So we'd tripled our payroll but the number of shows that were up and running and generating revenue were the same as at the beginning of the year. And sure, that was all about to change. The launch of Science Versus, the first of that new slate of shows we had coming, was just weeks away. But at this particular moment, with audience numbers dropping and so many shows yet to be released, things just felt uneasy. We still had several million in the bank, but at 60 people, that wasn't the cushion it once was. 60 employees, that cost about a million dollars a month. So the worry, it's understandable, but it shouldn't have been unexpected. 
We'd known that with all these shows in development, we were going to hit this uncomfortable period of high spending and low revenue at the end of the summer. So at the beginning of the year, mm-hmm. we had a goal to make $7 million in revenue, yep. and we had, uh, we had a goal to spend something like, what, $9 million, something like that, roughly? So I would say we're still on track to hit the revenue number, but the cost number is going to be 10 million probably give or take. Mm-hmm. And so that doesn't that doesn't feel that much worse right overall than the picture we projected in the beginning. I also feel like we knew this was coming this whole this whole yeah. time. We have the chart where you can look at our revenues, our costs and our cash flows and we projected them out and we're hitting them month after month after month. We're just at the low point because we're spending so much on new shows and they haven't come out yet. Yeah. So everyone's edgy, including us. Yeah. But this is this always was ha- going to happen. Like this was the moment. Like we, you could see this. You could see this moment of anxiety in the spreadsheet way back in January, right? Like we've spent so much money. Our burn rate is at the highest it's going to be, and like we we have two weeks. Well, not, not, <laughs> no, no. September, yeah. October. Yeah, right. Yeah. But it's almost at the highest it's going to be, and like we've got like. Two weeks to show launches. We don't know what's going on. The only thing that's different about it is that, like, we weren't predicting like this downturn in, in audience that we've had, and that's 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 fucking yeah. scary. Yeah. yeah. For me, there was yet one more anxiety lurking beneath all of this, and that was the realization that decisions Matt and I had made a long time ago were just now revealing their full consequences. So, from today's vantage point. Launching so many complicated, ambitious, expensive shows at the same time seemed like the wrong decision. But we hadn't made the decision now. We'd made the decision over a year ago, back in mid-2015, when we were still in our old offices, and we just raised $6 million and launched three hits, and it seemed like, yes, concept proven. Let's take this thing to the next level. But now here we were, poised to take it to the next level, and our audience numbers were drooping. The question, wait, why did we do it this way? It kept nibbling away in our brains. And it was right around this time that an opportunity presented itself. A very complicated opportunity with a very attractive bankroll. Anna Sullivan, our national sales director, got me and Nazneen and Matt in the studio to tell us about it. <laughs> so what are what we, we talking to talk about? about? The Department of Defense wants a branded podcast. <laughs> cool. Pentagon wanted us to make a podcast for them. The rest of that conversation coming up after the break. Welcome back to Startup, the show about what it's really like to start a business. And we're going to pick back up right where we left off in the studio just after our national sales director, Anna Sullivan, told me and Matt and Nazneen that the Department of Defense was interested in doing a branded podcast and they wanted to get a proposal from us. Now, regular listeners to the program may remember previous episodes where we talked about branded podcasts and whether that was something we even wanted to take on. 
And that's how Nasneen ended up here, running Gimlet Creative, the part of the company that deals specifically with branded content and ads. Gimlet Creative had done exactly one other branded podcast for eBay. Nasneen and her team had released it several months earlier, and it had been a big success. The audience had more than doubled what we'd promised. eBay loved it and said they wanted a second season. And it had been the perfect show for us to enter the unfamiliar waters of branded podcasts with. Because eBay, as large companies go, is pretty non-controversial. The military, on the other hand, is a different story. And we just didn't know what kind of stories they'd want us to tell. Would we be making podcasts about military innovation and how it leads to cool things like the internet? Or would they want stories about drone warfare and lethal weaponry? Okay, back in that meeting. Here's Matt. For me, the question is, like, is the story something where, A, like, whether we're promoting something that like broadly within the organization, we may feel or people may feel like we don't want to be on the side of. It seems pretty obvious that eBay is in one camp, which is pretty non-controversial, pretty straightforward. And then the Pentagon's in another category, (laughs) which is (laughs) a lot of people have a lot of thoughts about it, very controversial. Um, And I think this gets to, for me, a bigger question of sort of like, how do we make these decisions? Are we making them based purely on optics? Are we making them based purely on our beliefs? I want for some sort of like clarification of how we should even think about it. I think it is both how do we as a company feel about it and then also how do we think our audience is going to Mm -hmm. perceive it? Like what is that impact that it's going to have on the brand and how people feel about Gimlet? That's a very Mm -hmm. legitimate question. Right. In the end... The, the goal of this podcast in some very broad and general way is to have people hear about the Defense Department and have a more nuanced, sympathetic, or empathetic feeling about them, right? That's the main question. Do we want to be part of the Defense Department's marketing strategy? <laughs> but I feel genuinely, like, conflicted about that question because I feel like maybe I'm not against it. I just feel like that's kind of the question we should try to answer. And the thing about the military and, like, like many things that people have strong opinions about is that it's, like, too vast and complicated to be just one thing, I think. And I think, you know, uh, to a certain group, the Pentagon is, is seen very negatively. But then to a whole other group, it seemed very positively. Like, to, like there's, I think there's a whole bunch of listeners who might be hearing this and being like, why, why is this even a question? Like, right. That of course you would do this. Because, of course you would yeah, do this. It's like because, one of our like, great American the, institutions. Right. We had logistical questions as well. First of all, we would have to get the job, which means we'd have to do a ton of research and work and put together a proposal. And there's the opportunity cost. Um, we have enough other demand that if we say yes to this, we're saying no to a bunch of other things that I think are ultimately like make more sense for us strategically. Um, we have to... So I just... That's hard for me. Again, Anna, our national sales director. Because it's like, yeah, we have the demand of people reaching out, but like how many of those actually come to fruition? This one's like, we have $500,000 and we need to spend it right now or else Uh we don't get it next year. And really it's some of us getting our money back because it's like (laughs) taxpayer dollars (laughs) as the salesperson in the room, just like a thing. But um, Just out of curiosity, how many – what if if you guys had to decide right now, can I just go around the table and figure, like, what would you say? If you were like, yes or no, should we do it, Anna? I'd say yes. Matt? No. Nazneen? Maybe. <laughs> no, not a Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Shit. 
I think I would say right now, if I had to decide, I think I would say no. But yeah. How about you? I think I would, I don't know. I'd probably say no, but I'm not, but I don't know if I don't, I, I feel like that's a, something of a chicken shit decision. Do you remember when former President George W. Bush said that thing, I'm the decider? So I hear the voices and I read the front page and I know the speculation. But I'm the decider, and I decide what is best, and what's best is... At the time, he caught a lot of flack for it. It's an awkward phrase, belligerent and childish at the same time. Or so I thought back then. Now, I think it's a perfect description of what it's like to be in charge. Of anything. The most powerful country on the planet, in George Bush's case, or a small podcasting startup in mine. There are just so many decisions to make, all the time, and all with such imperfect information. And such a huge time lag before you can tell if the decision was right or wrong. Half a million dollars from the Pentagon would ease a lot of the pressure we were facing getting out our new round of shows. But then, what if we looked back a year and a half from now and wondered, what were we thinking? And so, a week after that first conversation, I got the team together on a conference call. I don't know. I, I've been like thinking, like, man, I don't, I don't know if it's, all, if it's worth all the headache. What, do you, what are you guys thinking? I, I, I'm very sympathetic with the, like, it's not worth the headache argument. I mean, to me, this isn't about principle. It's about, like, practicality, and practically, it's not worth it. I, I, I'm, 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 I'm ready to sign off on that. Okay. Goodbye. Yeah. Half a million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, that's fine. It's, you can always find money other places. How do we all feel about that? Buy, buy half a million dollars. I mean, I don't feel good about it, but, you know. Yeah, I I'm feel good. I feel good. I'm ready to move on and, like, get to work on... I'll go cry in my pillow. <laughs> uh, we're about to walk by the concrete plant. God, Brooklyn is loud. It's so loud. In moments like with the DOD, when there's all this pressure to make a tough choice, it's nice to have a partner in the decision. Matt and I rely on each other for this. Almost all the decisions we make, we make together. And one of the best things about Nazneen working at Gimlet is that she can be a voice in making some of these decisions as well. It's nice. It's comforting. But on the other hand, it means we share almost all the same anxieties. You know, I'm, like, there, are, there is a part of me that misses just the diversification of worry. You know, like I had my worries and you had your worries. And I didn't have to, like, head-on interact with your work worries. I never have before. Like, you know, I didn't before you started Gimlet, and, like, I didn't after you started Gimlet until I started working here. And now it's like all of our worries are the same worries. <laughs> like, every single fucking worry. Our kids, we have the same worries. Our work, we have the same worries. Our, like, aging parents, because just, like, every worry is the same worry. Like, maybe I'm more worried about you know, losing seven pounds and eating carbs than you. But, like, that's pretty much it. <laughs> Do you ever feel that way? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I feel that way a lot, a lot. No, I mean, it's like when we come home and, like, before it used to be... Like, I never had the feeling before when we were at home and talking 
Oh man, let's just change the subject. I know. Me neither. <laughs> I wish I could come home and just be like, my boss is an asshole. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know. Just something like totally unrelated. Right. For better or worse, we share almost everything now, including our anxieties about work. And right now, a major shared anxiety was the fact that we just passed on half a million dollars from the Defense Department. And then, just a few weeks later, the first of our new shows launched. Science Versus published its inaugural episode. Somehow, the only documentary evidence we have of this is a 10-second cell phone video that our editor, Annie Rose Strasser, took. It shows Science Versus host, Wendy Zuckerman, hitting the publish button to upload the first episode. Okay. We did it. Wendy, of course, was nervous about her new show and how people would like it. But I don't think she had any idea how closely Matt and Jim and us corner office people were watching how it performed. Hey, everyone. We're going to say, I want to say a couple of words. Just a few. Um, this is just, I, we're all gathered here to celebrate the um, launch of uh, Gimblin's newest show, Science Versus. Uh, it performed very well. In fact, it was the most successful launch in Gimlet's short history, reaching almost 300,000 listeners in just a few days, rocketing up the iTunes charts. The team was thrilled. I was thrilled. But I wondered, what did Mr. Downside scenario Jim Grau think of all this? So... How how are you feeling now? What are you freak? How how are you are you less freaked out, more freaked out, the same amount of freaked out? Uh, I would say less freaked out, marginally less freaked out because of the science versus launch, which I think is just proof that the core thesis that we have still works. That, right. Um, but I think my. <laughs> Concern has migrated to um, selling these things now. Right. Another consequence of launching all these programs at once, we have to find a lot more advertisers to fill all the ad spots we now have available. There's just a lot more supply. And it was proving harder for Anna and her team to sell spots on a podcast that hadn't come out yet that nobody could listen to. So all of this had Jim still concerned, despite the early success of Science Versus, about hitting our revenue goal for the year. What do you think the chances are that we'll get there? Uh, I would put it at... sixty-five thirty-five. 35 okay. we'll get there. All right. Sixty-five thirty-five 35 for Mr. Downside Scenarios? I guess I'll take that don't have a choice, right? How do you manage your anxiety? <laughs> Let's pretend it doesn't exist. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't I don't I don't have a good answer for that. I think uh, I think you got to like lean into that a little bit and like appreciate it, like appreciate the roller coaster ride for yeah. the downs as well as the ups. Like I actually consciously think now when I'm feeling like stressed out about something for a week or whatever, like, yeah, this is like part of the ride. Right. <laughs> and yeah. I sort of in this like really um, masochistic way kind of like... <laughs> <laughs> I don't like it when things are bad, obviously, but like, 
I like the fact that I hate it when a big ad deal falls through. <laughs> like right. if it if it ever gets to the place where like I don't feel something negative when negative things happen to this company, that would that would be a sad place. I right. Think. <laughs> right. A couple months after the launch of Science Versus, we premiered our next show up, Heavyweight, with host Jonathan Goldstein. And it also did very well, went to number one. As of this recording, we have achieved our revenue goal, and we've still got several months left in the year. The point is that once that show launched, it further relieved some of the anxieties of some of the folks in the corner office, like Jim. But it added to the anxieties of another group of people a group of people that is trying to launch a podcast that hasn't come out yet and a podcast that will be judged against the success of the ones that already have. That's on the next episode of Startup. And one more announcement before we come to a close here. Today, we made the very sad announcement that Gimlet will no longer be producing Mystery Show. Mystery Show, for those of you who don't know, was a show we launched last year um, with host Starley Kine. And I can honestly tell you, it was one of the most amazing podcasts that I've ever had the privilege of being associated with. She's an original, and her show broke all sorts of new ground. Um, on this podcast, we are transparent about a lot of things. But there are certain things that simply need to remain private. What I can tell you is that I'm really, really sad, and I wish Starley all the best. Okay. We're going to have scenes from the next episode of Startup after these words from our sponsors. Coming up on the next episode of Startup, I sit down with one of our young producers for a conversation about job performance. Mine. I didn't realize that you were under so much pressure. Mm -hmm. Should I know that? Are you asking, do I want you to know that? Or are you asking, is that something you should know as like the... As you, as like the person who's like created the company yeah. to try to help you do this thing that is making you cry. Has something gone wrong that that's happening? That's next time on Startup. Today's episode of Startup was produced by Stevie Lane and Simone Palanen. It was edited by me, Peter Clowney, Molly Messick, Bruce Wallace, Caitlin Roberts, Lisa Chow, and Luke Malone. Mark Phillips wrote and performed our theme song. Build Buildings wrote and performed our special ad music. Additional music from Jupiter and the band with the greatest band name ever, hotmoms.gov. David Herman mixed the episode. To subscribe to the podcast, go to iTunes or check out the Gimlet Media website, gimletmedia.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Podcast Startup. That's it. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on Startup. <laughs>